Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Masterclass U.S. Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. This show has been designed to demystify the U.S. market for Italian wineries through interviews with experts in sales and distribution, social media, communications, and so much more. We will quiz each of our esteemed guests at the end of each episode to solidify the lessons that we've learned. So sharpen your pencils, get out your notebooks, and join us each week to learn more about the U.S. market. Hello, welcome to Masterclass U.S. Wine Market. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Liz Tosh to the Italian Wine Podcast. Dr. Liz Tosh, MW, is a professor, wine writer, and consultant based in Napa and Sonoma, California. She also holds the position of president of the Wine Market Council, a nonprofit dedicated to providing forward-looking market research on U.S. wine consumer buying habits, attitudes, and trends. Liz is also an award-winning author and educator specializing in wine business strategy, marketing, leadership and executive development, and wine lifestyle. She's published nine books and over 200 articles. Incredible. Welcome to the show, Liz. It's so great to have you here. It's a pleasure being here today. Wonderful. So before we dive into today's discussion, Liz, about your new role with the Wine Market Council, tell us a little bit more about your background. What led you to become the first woman in California and the seventh woman in the U.S. to become a master of wine? That's so incredibly impressive. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. Oh, thanks, Juliana. Well, I actually fell in love with wine during college. I had a girlfriend take me to the Napa Valley to go wine tasting. And by the third winery, I just I couldn't believe how beautiful the vineyards were, how wonderful the wine tasted being around such a beautiful scenery and with friends and it was just fall in love with wine. And so from that point on, I actually started studying wine on my own, met my husband, turned him into a wine drinker, <laughs> and then we started traveling the world together. So now I've been to almost all the major wine regions of the world and 75 countries. So wine's always been a passion since a, a young age, but my um, my PhD is actually in uh, human resource management. So I did work for 10 years in industry um, before transitioning to the university to be a professor of wine business and um, human resource management and leadership management. Um, and then along the way, after I wrote my first wine book, I got um, approached recruited sort of by two MWs to apply for the program. And at that time, there were no women in California. In fact, on wow. the whole West Coast who'd yet become an MW. And, and what year was that, Liz? That was 2006. Okay, so not that long ago. In this century. <laughs> this century, you're right. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, <Julia. laughs> That makes me feel better. Anyway, um, yeah, so 2006, and then it took five years, so I became an MW in 2011. And uh, yeah, then I found out I was the first woman in California to become an MW and the, the governor of the state of California, the legislature gave me a nice big plaque and award. And so that was great. And it's wonderful being an MW because it opens a lot of doors. You have this access to this incredible network of brilliant people around the world and you just get a lot more opportunities too. Yeah, absolutely. And would you remember some of those first wineries that you visited? I'm just curious about that trip because it sounds like it was so transformative. 
Oh, yeah. So the one, I, I'll never forget it. The one I fell in love with wine was Behringer. Oh, okay. Classic. Standing there, we had done the cave tour, vineyards, and we had an incredible tour guide. I'll never forget her. She was so mesmerizing and engaging. And we were standing there drinking our wine, looking out over the vineyards. And that at that time, we were in that sold, sort of old house there at Behringer. And I just thought, mm-hmm. this is the world I want to live in. <laughs> and it came true, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's amazing, Liz. And, um, you know, today we're going to focus our conversation on the Wine Market Council and your new role. And you mentioned you're part of the NW Network and Community, which brings so many incredible opportunities and resources. And now you're leading one of the leading market research companies with uh, Wine Market Council. So we want to talk a little more specifically today to you about how wine companies can actually use the data and market research that the Wine Market Council generates to inform their marketing and sales plans. So our three key takeaways for today's masterclass and what we're really excited to learn from you are, number one, the most current and up-to-date resources for U.S. market research and data and, and learn a little more about where Wine Market Council is pulling its data from. Number two, uh, how to go about interpreting and deciphering market research and data. Uh, also, as a doctorate, I'm sure, Liz, you've got some great tips about academia that can apply here. And then finally, number three, how to apply market research and data to a U.S.-focused sales and marketing plan, because you know, after all, we're here all to master the U.S. market. So um, let's just dive in. And first off, Liz, tell us a little bit more about the Wine Market Council, what the organization does, how membership works and a little bit more about the focus of its work and research. Yes, excellent, and great, great objectives, Juliana. So, um, yeah, so Wine Market Council was established in 1996 in Napa, California, and it's a nonprofit organization, and so we're a scientific nonprofit, and so we are set up, our mission is to provide forward-looking research on the U.S. wine consumer. We focus on Mm. U.S. wine consumers, um, on their purchasing habits, their attitudes, and their trends. And so our members are wineries, growers, distributors, importers, trade associations, and affiliates. And affiliates might be universities, uh, banks, media firms, um, and so forth. And I did want to just point out trade associations because we have like mm-hmm. Napa Valley Vintners, we have New York Wines, Wines of Washington, we have wines of New Zealand, we have wines of Germany, we have wines of the Rhone in France, but we still don't have associations from Italy. And so <laughs> just putting out that little little uh, note there that we would love to uh, welcome some Italian um, trade associations as members because there's lots of benefits in terms of yes. the research we provide. So every year we do three to four huge research studies on the U.S market and the U.S., mainly the U.S. consumer. Okay. And all, all that data is only shared with our members internally. Now, we do sort of high-level press releases and articles and presentations like this one where we we provide some of the high-level data. Right. But all the nitty-gritty detailed data is reserved for our members because that's part of what they're paying for their membership. Of course. And then we also will even do customized data sorts for them as well. We do lots of webinars. We're going to be starting up our in-person conference again, which is a once we do once a year. 
Um, it'll be in New York one year and in Napa the second year and sort of back and forth. Everything is also um, taped and online. So if you can't attend that, you can always watch all the research, um, you know, you know, at your leisure. Right. Um, and then what some of our larger wineries really appreciate is we make access and the universities, we make access all all of the big Excel files. So mm -hmm. people who love to, love to crunch numbers, you know, they can they can do that as well. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really wonderful. We've been doing this research for, you know, 27 years mm -hmm. now. So we have a huge database that people can dip into. And we asked our members, we just completed a survey, a membership survey asking them, you know, how are they using the data? Mm. And so I'll just share the top three ways that they are the benefits. Yeah, great. 92% of them say that they are using the market research we give them to help create their business, um, their marketing strategy, wow. their sales strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's really what our intent is. Our intent is to help wineries sell more wine right. in the U.S. market. And that includes wineries from all over the world. So not just U.S. wineries. Um, so, like I said, anybody can be a member if you're in the wine uh, global wine industry. Right. And for Italy, I mean, U.S. is the number one export market. So I'd imagine, again, there's there's so much value in this data. Yeah. We, oh, my gosh. Americans love Italian wine. And you know that, Julia. They sure do. <laughs> We're the number one wine we import into this country. Everybody loves Italian wine. Of course, yeah. And, you know, part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to promote wine consumption, you know, in a responsible fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, wine is part of the good life. Right. And uh, so that's, that's part of what we do. Yeah. Um, and that's so important today, right, Liz, because, you know, we're seeing statements coming out from the World Health Organization, looking at alcohol being regulated the way tobacco is, and it's going to be coming more and more. And I think as an industry, we need to be promoting, you know, moderate consumption and the lifestyle of drinking wine in a, in a positive way as, as an industry and getting that message out there more and more. I think it's only going to become more critical. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, you know, we're, we're recommending wine consumption in a, in a moderate fashion, you know, to, to make, to help improve life relationships, you know, romance, you know, food, you know, all the, all the wonderful things that wine can make better in life, but obviously in a very, you know, responsible, drinking in a right. responsible manner. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, so tell us a little bit more, Liz, about some of these consumer studies that the Wine Market Council is publishing. Maybe talk to us a little bit about some of your, your recent findings um, and also just a little bit about the process of how these studies are being conducted. Yes, excellent question. So we basically, since we're member funded, we have a research committee that's made of members People, you know, say they want to be on the committee and the committee meets twice a year. And what they do is they look at what's hot, like what are the hot trends? What are the things mm -hmm. the wine industry really wants to know? And so they're the ones who select the three to four studies we do per year. And so then we take we actually use 75 percent of our funding to do research studies. And so hmm. one of the studies we've been doing since the very, very beginning I sort of I call it the profile of the U.S. wine consumer, and we do it every two years, and we're doing it again right now, and okay. we're sort of calling it a benchmark survey, a benchmark segmentation survey. So it tells you 
everything about the U.S. wine consumers, you know, where they live, what kind of mm -hmm. wine they like, you know, what the occasions are they drink wine, how much money they spend on wine. And so it's this really great thing to just help you tap into what are the hot trends, what do consumers really want right now. And right. so that's, that's sort of, that's our benchmark survey. We do that every two okay. years. And then, two years. yeah, so then it's like okay. whatever, whatever's hot. So for example, last year we did a survey on wine ingredient labeling, you know, because it's going to mm. be mandatory in the EU, but not yet in the right. US. So we're trying to figure out if US consumers want it. Uh, we also did one on multicultural consumers, how to connect more with all the you know, Hispanic, Asian, Black Americans mm -hmm. who are not drinking as much wine as white Americans. And so we want to make sure that right. we, we are, um, you know, more into equality um, and Definitely. reaching out and connecting with these consumers. Um, this year, we did one on this whole, we call it the wine category shifting study. It's basically mm. looking at, okay, why are people drinking less wine? Uh, we right. know part of the reason is the wellness trend, but, you know, what else is going on? And where are they shifting to? If they're shifting away from wine, what are they drinking instead? You know, are they drinking juice and tea or are they drinking beer? Or, you know, because people are shifting away from alcohol in general. Right. Yeah. And then what can the wine industry do about it? So that's what that that big study's going on right now. I'm very curious to, to hear the findings of that one. That kind of leads me to the next question I have for you, Liz, is that, you know, we've all we've seen the research and the stats around wine consumption declining globally and especially in the U.S. market with the rise of RTDs and spirits. Uh, but also just with people drinking less as, as one of the key factors. So I know you're doing that study right now, but based on previous experience and, and your own expertise, what do you think are some of the most important and relevant findings as it relates to declining consumption of wine in the U.S. market? Right. So what we've seen is for the last two years, volume of wine has gone down. That, that means the sales volume. So people are buying less wine. Mm -hmm. But... Until just recently, they were spending more on wine. So even though volume was declining, the wine industry was still making a good amount of money. So people weren't that concerned until just this year. And I think what happened this year is inflation just just really hit people. Yeah. So what we're starting to see is people spending less on wine now. Right. At that sort of downshifting in price, trading down, we call it, is happening. But if you look at the general numbers, and I always like to say, you know, wine's been around for 8,000 years. It's not going away. <laughs> That's for sure. And if I look, we have charts showing U.S. wine consumption over the last, like, I don't know, like since the 1930s. And you are always going to see these sort of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Like in the 1990s, we went through a period where wine consumption went down right. and then it came back up again. So I sort of think we're going through one of those again. Mm -hmm. So right now, our, our, our liters per capita is 11. Okay. 11 liters per capita. And last year, it was 11.3 okay. liters. So it's not like we've dropped a lot. Yeah. You know? um, so, and, and to, to, this is a number that I think people need to keep in mind, is that 33% of all Americans drink wine. So that's a lot, yeah. 33%. And, then the, and that's, I'm sorry, those are adult Americans. Right, of course. So when we look at the numbers there, that's 79 million Americans age 21 and over drink wine. 
Seventy nine million Americans. That's bigger than the whole country of France. That's huge. France only has sixty seven million people, and that's including kids mm -hmm. who can't drink wine. So. You know, well, that's why we're the largest wine market in the world. Mm -hmm. is, even though it's only 33% of Americans drink wine, that's 79 million people. That's that's like a nationwide yeah. there. So so that that's something I like to say to just keep it in perspective. But, Juliana, oh, the numbers that are bothering us are the younger generation. So right. when we break those numbers down by generation, um, if we look at all 79 million wine drinkers then, and we just look at that, um, only 25% of that total are Gen Z and younger more, mm. you know, the people in the 20s. Right. Um, you have 33% who are older millennials. So keep in mind, older millennials are now in their 30s and early 40s. Right. That's my demographic. We like to call ourselves the geriatric millennial. <laughs> yeah. And I just had a conversation with somebody today. They're like, you know, Liz, wine, wine is a lifestyle thing. When you're really young in your 20s, you're out drinking beer and, you know, experimenting with cocktails. Yep. And and it's oftentimes not till you get in your 30s and you're maybe married with a mortgage and kids that you start drinking more wine. And you start staying at home more too, right? And instead of going out to the bars, you're hosting dinner parties and, you know, you're, you're drinking a bottle of wine with your partner on a Friday evening. You know, they're just the, the lifestyle, like you said, exactly. You're aging into that the category in a, in a different way. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at winetowine.net. So it's not that bad, but here's the, the slightly concerning thing is that 38% or almost 40% of wine consumers are baby boomers or older. So we're talking 60s and older. So, um, and everybody's living longer. So that's good. But, you know, as we get older, people do drink less alcohol. So all of these things are sort of like a warning sign to the U.S. wine industry mm -hmm. and anybody selling wine here. Right. And it's not just happening here. It's happening all over the world is that hey we need to we need to wake up and pay attention to this yeah you know we need to understand what's going on we need market research to tell us you know what strategies we can use to continue to connect with the consumers we have and to and to attract new consumer segments. yeah absolutely and you gave a great presentation earlier this year in january unified about some of the things that the wine industry and wine companies can do to connect with new consumers whether it's you know transparency around uh, their their practices with sustainability and, and sustainability meaning social sustainability and how they're treating their employees and also um, you know environmental sustainability what they can do with new packaging uh, what they can do with marketing digital so I mean there are solutions out there right and and I think it's yes. just about continuing to encourage our whole industry to be thinking about how we're talking to the next generation and really understanding and recognizing that. They're much different than the boomers that grew up with technology and a cell phone, you know, glued to their eyes. And we, we've, we've got to treat them very differently than, than we've marketed to previous generations. 
You are exactly correct. It's definitely a shifting tide, but you know, opportunity as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you mentioned earlier in our, in our conversation, that uh, I think ninety something percent of the wine market council members are applying the research from the wine market council to their U.S. sales and marketing plans. So, talk to us a little bit about how mm-hmm. they're doing that. Like, how do you see them? directly implementing the work you're doing into their sales and marketing plans. Yes. So I just had one of our member companies tell me today that our multicultural study we did on how to attract multicultural consumers completely changed how they marketed a couple of their wine brands. They changed the wording, they changed the advertising, the images, the graphics, the messaging. Yeah, all based on what we, because what we did is we went out and interviewed a lot of people um, in those segments and tried to understand more about what it is they were looking for. You know, you need to understand the words that people use. You need to understand the values that they hold or the... The occasions, you know, when they're when they're interested in drinking wine, so that that's that's what that's what we do with our research. So another another example is um, this is a trade association. We did a study on sustainability two years ago and how it was becoming more and more important. And they went and completely in their state started. They did not yet have a sustainability program in their state. So they started one and now they have like wow. about they have like almost fifty percent of their on wineries that are getting certified sustainable. So now they can put it on their labels and talk about it on their websites and talk about it with consumers. So they basically adopted a sustainability strategy as a state, you know, based on our research. Oh that's incredible. That's huge. Exciting to see the research applied, you know, in that in those tangible ways. That's amazing. I know. We, yeah, we like to get we like to get testimonials. In fact, we're out trying to get more of those now. <laughs> I know it's important to always show the work that's being done and, and how it's impacting. That's that's really exciting. So you know, you have a lot of trade associations, winery members as well. For our listeners who maybe they're newer in their positions in wine marketing and sales, or they're newer to the wine industry. You know, how might you suggest going about taking a report like the Wine Market Council might publish on uh, multicultural marketing for the wine consumer and digesting that? Like just some tangible tips and advice. And I think for some, maybe I'm speaking for myself too here, sometimes data can feel a little bit daunting if you didn't have a statistics degree or an MBA. So just talk to us a little bit about some of your tips and tools for digesting this information. Yeah, well, and you know, Julianne, uh, you're bringing up a really good point because uh, sometimes, you know, the worst thing you can do actually is just do a data dump and say, here's the data. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, great. So now what? What do I do with it? So right. what we're trying to do on our webinars, and we just started this deliberately um, this, this last month and this last webinar we did, where I said to the presenters, okay, I need each of you to come up with three key takeaways or action items based on mm. your data. So, um, and we literally, we, I did a, I did a rehearsal with them, a dry run, and we put their takeaways on the slides. And so, great. so they, they basically said, and, and the things that they said, um, uh, I thought were brilliant. One of them said, um, we had the, uh, Curtis Mann, he's the main, uh, he's also an MW, he's one of my 
my students. I coached him in the MWA. Amazing. Yeah, he's the head buyer of all alcohol for all Safeway Albertsons um, in the United States. So, wow, that's a big job. <laughs> and yeah, he said that they're just starting to see consumers trading down in price point in wine in the last two months. And he said he gave three takeaways. One, now is not a good a time to take a price increase. He said, you know, that's that's one yeah. high, high recommendation. Don't do it right now. You should have already done it, you know, last year. Yeah. Um, number two, he goes, more and more consumers are looking for the organic or sustainability, the transparency. They want to know how the wine was made, what's in the bottle. They want to know more about calories and carbohydrates. And right. And and he said, you need to figure out a way to, sh to give them that information, you know, either on a mm -hmm. QR code or on the label or some way. He goes, and he goes, it's silly because wine, you know, wine is actually relatively low calorie, like a five ounce glass of white wine. It is, yeah. 120 calories and like four carbs. And and red wine's 100 and maybe 40 calories and five carbs. So, you know, it's actually really low, but we don't communicate that. Mm -hmm. And almost all wine is actually made with very few ingredients. Now, there are some exceptions, of course, but for the most part, especially small family producers, they're, they're, they're making their wine in a very natural fashion, but they're not communicating. Right. That. So he was like, tell the consumer more about what's in the bottle, how you're making it, and so forth. And then the last thing he said was innovation. Mm. The wine industry needs to get more attractive labels, more attractive bottles, even new wine categories like more non-alcoholic wines that taste good. Right. Co-ferments, right? Co-ferments, I know, are coming back in vogue and piquettes and some other styles that are lower in alcohol. Exactly. Anything that can make wine stand out um you know using some of the innovation tactics we see in spirits because spirits does that so well right. more wine cocktails you know i mean there's tons of beautiful wine cocktails around the world but nobody talks about them and those used to be popular right i mean before my time but uh, <laughs> i i hear you know those were a thing like in the late 80s and, and early 90s right well repackage so all good ideas come back around yep. <laughs> repackage the wine cocktail in a cool, sexy way. Right. I love that idea. Compete with those RTDs, the ready-to-drink cans and spirits cocktails, you know? And there's some great brands out there doing that. Like uh, There are a few. Paloma, and there's a few, but, like, yeah. We need more. Those, we need more. We need them, like, in stadiums and games and arenas and concerts. We need them in the right occasions, too. Where there's mass consumption, right? So exactly, I love seeing. I think I went to a basketball game last year at the New Chase Center. I love that I was able to get wine in a can instead of drinking, you know, a beer. Oh, it's so wonderful, and consumers like it too. Definitely, yeah. So, so that's just an example of key takeaways coming out of the research. So, and we're we're, we're trying to do more of that. The other thing that since you know I'm new to this job, I've only been in it two months. I did a big um, member survey to find out what the members wanted and, and the benefits. I was trying to find, okay, what, what are you what are you doing with the data? And that's how I found out what they were doing with the data. Um, <laughs> but they um, suggested we do more infographics, and I love that idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
an easy way mm -hmm. to digest data that makes sense to people. I think we're going yeah. to start doing that too. We haven't real. We uh, I don't think we've done that. At least I haven't found it. And believe me, I've gone through files and files. Twenty five years of data. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. So there's it sounds like you're looking at ways to make the data that you're collecting more digestible for members, putting it into formats where you know you have experts uh, like Curtis, you know breaking down their takeaways and, and really making it more tangible and then visuals, which I think are so key. The way we digest information now in this digital era is so visually driven. So um, that's exciting to see some of those changes that you're making. And yeah, and we hire we hire top research firms to do these studies mm. too. So they're very, very rigorous, very scientific. So we get them to help present the data too. And then we have partnerships. We partner with Nelson. So, um, mm -hmm. in fact, they were on our last webinar. Um, we partner with um, SIP source and, and other sources of data because we, we just do the U.S. wine consumer. Right. But we also, you know, because there's a lot of data out there. So what we try to, we're trying to do, I had a consumer, I had one of our members contacted me yesterday and say, Liz, can you just put everything all into one 10 minute presentation? <laughs> <laughs> all of those different numbers and everything, yeah. you know, from all the different studies. And I'm like, well, sure, I, I guess I can, you know, we can do, we can do that yeah. at a high level. Cause, you know, people want to know how many millions of cases of wine were sold in the U S each year. And, how many billions of dollars were made. And, you know, right. we, we have all that data from our partnerships. So mm -hmm. easily share that. Yeah, that's super helpful. Well, Liz, it's been great speaking with you. And I want to make sure we've got time in our episode to do our rapid fire quiz that we do at the end of every episode uh, to really help our listeners better understand the U.S. market. So try to your best, please, to answer these questions in one sentence or less. So uh, question number one, what is your number one tip for mastering the U.S. wine market? Number one tip, get to know the U.S. wine consumer and be clear on your business strategy. Great advice. Fantastic. Number two, what is something you might have told your younger wine professional, because I know you've had a couple of different professions, self about the U.S. market and wine? Network more. Mm. Never forget that the global wine industry is really a family and it's all about relationships. I love that. Definitely. And then finally, because so many of us travel for our jobs and I know you mentioned you'll be in New York soon for the Wine Market Council event and I'm sure for other things too. What's your number? What's your favorite travel hack when you're traveling for work? The 15 minute power nap. <laughs> I love it. That's a good one. For me, it can't be more than 15 minutes because then I won't wake up. So it's got to be short. It has to be short. But I agree. It has to be short. And you know, Einstein used to take 15 minute power naps. So you and I are in good company. <laughs> I love to hear that. <laughs> and Liz, just while we while we were talking and talking about you know wine as a lifestyle, I did pull up the quote from Robert Mondavi that Karen McNeil included in one of her recent newsletters. When wine is drunk moderately and intelligently, it's part of gracious living. And I think, you know, that's that's the message. Hopefully we can continue getting out there um, through the, the great work you're doing at the Wine Market Council and other organizations. And, you know, I think just keep spreading the word, right? So much of it is that. Exactly. I love that quote. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Of course. Well, Liz, thank you so much again for joining us on the Italian Wine Podcast today. How can our listeners connect with you? Several different ways. So the easiest way is to go to the Wine Market Council website, okay, W-I-N-E, wine, and then market, and then council, all lowercase, dot com. So we are listed as a dot com. 
and you can connect with me there or of course you can you can email me as well okay fantastic well thank you again liz it was so great to have you here today all right thank you juliana excellent interviewing on your part oh thank you Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned each week for new episodes of Masterclass US Wine Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. And remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit the like and follow buttons wherever you get your podcasts.